Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for this morning and the opportunities that you give us just to be in your presence, to be with you, and to be with other believers. God, I pray that you will be in this place, that you will speak to us, and that we will hear you, that you will convict us and challenge us and comfort us and help us transform us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, back in the 70s, there was allegedly a U.S. government Peace Corps document that was giving instructions uh, for those who were headed to the Amazon jungle to work in the Amazon. And, and part of this document was instructions on what to do in case you were being attacked by an anaconda. Um, and so those are important skills to have if you're in the Amazon to know how to deal with an attack from an anaconda. For those of you who don't know, I'm sparing you a picture, but, but those are like the largest snakes there are by weight and the second longest snakes there are. So they're, they're these enormous snakes uh, that attack. And so these are the instructions. This may save your life one day, so pay attention. These are the instructions on what to do if attacked by an anaconda. If you're attacked by an anaconda, do not run. The snake is faster than you are. So that's one. Number two, lie flat on the ground. Put your arms tight against your sides, your legs tight against one another. Step three, tuck in your chin. Step four, the snake will come and begin to nudge and climb over your body. Five, do not panic. Six, after the snake has examined you, it will begin to swallow you from the feet end, always from the feet end. Somehow they were able to guarantee this. Permit the snake to swallow your feet and ankles. Again, do not panic. <laughs> Number seven, the snake will now begin to suck your legs into its body. You must lie perfectly still. This will take a long time. Number eight, when the snake has reached your knees slowly and with as little movement as possible, remember not panicking, as little movement as possible, reach down, take your knife, and very gently slide it into the side of the snake's mouth between the edge of its mouth and your leg, then suddenly rip upward, severing the snake's head. Okay. Step nine, be sure you have a knife. Step 10, be sure the knife is sharp. So if you've already been Googling this, you've probably found that this is most likely not a true story. Um, it's presented as true on the internet, but you know you can believe everything that the internet says. But I couldn't resist sharing it as instructions for how to, how to survive an anaconda attack because steps 9 and 10 are really the most important. It doesn't matter what happened up to that point. If you don't have the knife and the knife is not sharp, then it really doesn't matter, right? And so have a knife with you if you're going to be in the Amazon, please. But the same goes for us. We get into situations where we are under attack and we don't have our knife with us. Paul calls it the sword, the sword of the Spirit, and it's our Bible, that we have the Bible, and that is our weapon. That is our defense against the attacks. And so it doesn't really matter what number one through eight is. If you don't have your sword with you, and your sword is not sharpened, then you're really not going to be able to survive that attack. 
And so today we're talking about the Bible. We're talking about Bible study, using the Bible, and using it as a defense for us. We're in this series where we're looking at what it means to be like Jesus. And so for the first several weeks, for the first 12 weeks, we talked about our core beliefs of, of what we believe, what we think, to think like Jesus. And if we're able to think like Jesus, then we have certain practices that we put into place to start to act like Jesus. We've, we've talked about worship. We've talked about prayer, and now we talk about Bible study as ways to act like Jesus. Back in February, we talked about the core belief, and we asked this question, how can I know God and his will for my life? How do I know God and his will for my life? And, and we talked about how the Bible is used, and we can know with confidence that God is speaking to us through his word. God com communicates to us through his word. And it is through that communication that we learn and that we grow and we find direction for our lives. We find God's will for our life. We have practical questions that come up, practical questions about our lives, and we can turn to the Bible for God's word and for his wisdom and his answers. We have questions about what we believe, and, and our faith gets rocky, and, and we can turn to God's word to strengthen our faith. We have difficulties that come into our life, and, and we can turn to God's word for encouragement and for hope. God's word speaks to us, and we turn to our Bible to hear from God. And so our core belief that we talked about in February is, I believe the Bible is the inspired word of God that guides my beliefs and my actions. And so what we believe impacts our behavior, right? How, what we really believe about God and what we really believe about the Bible impacts our day-to-day -day choices and our actions that we take. And then we have these core practices that help us sharpen those tools. And so what practices help us to engage and relate to the Bible as it relates to the Bible? The Hebrews writer says this, For the word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword or knife. It penetrates even, the dividing, even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Do you know where the gap is between your soul and your spirit? Where is that place? How small is that place? Where is the intersection between our joints and our marrow? Can we find that? Can we dig into that? Can we, we penetrate that and divide that? That's what the Word of God can do. The Word of God can find that space that is so small that we can't even see it. The, the, the point that is completely unrecognizable, the, the difference between soul and spirit the difference between joints and marrow, we can, we can dig into that. The Bible digs into that. Our thoughts and our attitudes, where's the line between those? Can you differentiate between the two? The Word of God can. The Word of God can come in and penetrate those things, and, and what is untouchable to us and what is at the innermost part of us is now exposed through Scripture. It convicts us. It convicts, it convicts our thoughts and our attitudes. And then, then it brings us healing and transformation in those broken areas. 
The authors of God's holy fire put it this way, Scripture breaks hearts and shapes minds, turning the church to God. It breaks hearts and it shapes minds and it turns us to God. Now, there are a lot of things in this world that will break your heart, right? There are jobs lost and there are kids that are sick and there are marriages that fall apart and relationships that are broken and bank accounts that are not where they're supposed to be. We have all these different things that break our hearts. There are things that shape our minds, our, our, our addictions to Facebook and to social media and to television and the things that we come to to shape who we are and shape the way we think. There are lots of things in this world that will break our hearts and shape our minds, but those are not the things that will turn us to God. The Word of God will come in and it will penetrate and it will shape us. It will shape us and turn us to God. If we fill ourselves with Scripture and not the things of this world, it will turn us to God. Colossians says, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and as you admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs of the, from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. The message of Christ dwells among us. It's alive. That this word is not just black and white and red text on a page, but it is something that dwells among us. It is a part of us. It is, it is here with us in some mysterious way. And so the message of Christ, it dwells among us. And that is a rich and powerful thing. Randy Frazee says the ancient stories and words are alive and active and totally capable of leading us along the right path. But like a trustworthy map, we must use it for it to be effective. Making Bible study a key practice can help us get to where God wants to take us. And so our key idea for today is I study the Bible to know God and His truth and define direction for my life. That it's, it's a map for this journey that we're on, but if we choose not to pick up the map, if we choose not to engage with it, and not to, to discover the riches that are, are within the covers of that book, if we're, if we're not diving into the Word of God, then it's not going to do us any good. It's not going to provide us the direction that we need, or the direction that we long for. Oftentimes, we can go places, men usually, and we want to find a place, and we don't want to use a map to get there, right? And most of the times, that works out okay, until it doesn't, and then it comes to haunt you forever, right? And so we go to a place thinking that we can get there without any kind of guidance, without any kind of direction. We don't look at the map, and the Word of God is there for us to find direction for our lives. We discover who God is and the direction that he wants for us through his word. Paul reminds Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed 
and who correctly handles the word of truth. There's a couple things there. Not ashamed is one part of it. That we're not ashamed of the word of God. That we are bold in knowing that the word of God is what is going to define our purpose and define our direction and define our lives but also correctly handles the word of truth, which implies that you can incorrectly handle the truth. You can incorrectly handle the word of God, right? We see that happen in lots of places. The worker needs to be confident in the word of God and not ashamed in in what it is. And we don't need to mishandle the word of God. To know if you're handling or mishandling the Word of God starts with answering this question. What is the purpose of the Bible? What is its purpose? Because if you're using it for a different purpose, then you're going to miss and mishandle how you use it. And so we've got lots of tools in our garage, right? Some of us more than others. And we, we, we take that hammer and we do not use the hammer to tighten a bolt. It won't work. For you less handy folks, that's not what a hammer is for. And you don't use a hatchet to dig a hole. That's that's mishandling the tools that you've been given. The tools are perfectly good tools. You're just not competent in how you're handling it. Or maybe you're too stubborn to use a tool for what it's for. And so oftentimes, the tool that's there is the tool that I will use. Because it's what's handy, even if it's not the right tool. Because going into the garage and digging for the right tool is going to be too difficult, right? And so we go the easy way and we use a hammer where you shouldn't be using a hammer. Or you can use a screwdriver for most anything, right? And so like my chisel has dents in it because I used it as something that it wasn't supposed to be used for. We mishandle those tools. We misuse those tools. And so what is the purpose of the Bible? The purpose is this, to reveal God's plan of salvation. God's Bible, the the word that's given to us, is to reveal God's plan of salvation. We've gone through the story from beginning to end. We've we've journeyed through it to see what this this grand story of God is. And it's, it's about God redeeming his people. He's in pursuit of a relationship with us. He's longing for us, and he wants to save us. And so the purpose of Scripture is not for a lot of things that we make it out to be. People mishandle Scripture to promote their own agendas. They they use it to to promote capitalism, or they use it to promote socialism, or or they use it to promote pre-existing prejudices. There's a lot of ways that we can use Scripture in the wrong way. That's not what it was designed to do. That's not why it was given to us. We're not given Scripture to define a political party. That's not why Scripture exists. Scripture exists to show us God's plan for us. The Bible is given to us for that purpose alone. In John chapter 20, But these are written that you may believe. That Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So this, this is written down so that you may believe. That you may know Jesus. That you may know God's plan for you. 
his plan of salvation for us. These words are written so that we can believe and so that we can have life. And the word of God is, is life-giving. It's not a burden. It's not a beating. It gives us life, and it reveals his plan for us. And so we ask the question, what on earth am I doing here? And the Bible works at answering that question. We ask this question of, why am I here? How did I get here? What is my purpose? I'm looking around, and is this really what I signed up for? This world that's around us with, with the brokenness and the darkness and the, the, the frustration and the, the things that are not going like God designed them to go, we look at those things and we say, why am I here? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? And how do I get to where I'm supposed to be? Because we're promised something so much better. How do I get to that? How do I get to that place? You know, when we go to a new place, whether it's a, a mall or an amusement park, or you go to a, a new town, you, you, you go and you look at the map, and you look for that dot that says, you are here. And sometimes that dot is ridiculously difficult to find. <laughs> like, the dot should be easy, but the map is all oriented wrong. So you have to kind of backtrack and say, okay, I came in on this street, and I went in on this entrance, and I parked here, and I, I came in here, and oh, okay, that's where the dot is that says this is where I am, and now I can figure out where my surroundings are and how I get to the place that I want to go. And so we ask this question, where am I at? And how do I get to the place that I want to go? How do I get to where I'm supposed to be? And now there's a lot of different ways to answer that. We can turn to the Bible, but others turn to a lot of different things. There are those who say that there are no answers to be found, that there's just kind of a mystery that you have to deal with, and this is more of an agnostic view. This says there really is no answer. Or others say that there is no God that can answer this question for us, and that becomes the atheist view. Or others say that there's all kinds of valid answers, and, and we can each have our own, and we can pick and choose the things that we want, and that's more of a syncretism. And so we have these different ways of trying to answer this question of why am I here and how do I get to where I'm supposed to be? But as followers of Jesus, we answer those questions not by culture around us, not by a political election, not by TV, not by Hollywood, not by media, not by social media. We answer those questions through the Word of God. Why am I here, and how do I get to where I'm supposed to be? We look through the story of God, and we find an incredible story unveiling for us. We, we look through the stories of great heroes of faith. We look at the prophets who, who spoke with boldness. We, we see the encouraging and the challenging words of poetry. We see the great mysteries of, of Daniel and Revelation, and we look at all of that. The Bible is rich, rich to communicate to us why we're here and how we get to where we're going. So the Bible reveals to us God's plan. That is the purpose of it. And if you're approaching Scripture for anything else other than that, then you may be mishandling what the Word of God is supposed to be doing in your life. 
And so if the Bible gives us purpose and it gives us God's plan, then it should also give us a passion for the Bible. That if we know that the Word of God is going to be giving us all the life that we need and all the direction that we need, then we should be passionate about what's in those pages. This should be the most important book that we read. It should, should, we should open the pages with, with a great energy and a great passion and also with great reverence, knowing that it is God who is speaking to us. As the psalmist describes it, Has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being, declares the Lord. These are the ones I look on with favor. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. And so people who come with humility, people come with brokenness and repentance and come trembling, knowing that God is speaking to us. And so we approach God, we approach the word of God with these things. When the Israelites were in exile, they had, they had lost the scriptures and they had fallen away. They, they were taken off into another land and, and they're, they're there in exile for a long time. And they come back and they're allowed to go back into their lands. And they're allowed to, to rediscover the word of God that had been lost for them. Here's Nehemiah 8, verse 1 actually picking up in the end of chapter 7. When the seventh month came, the Israelites had settled into their town, so they came back. All the people came together as one in the square before the, wa- as one in the, square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, which, has made up, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Now imagine if you were in a place where you have lost the Bible and it's been gone for generations. What would that do to your faith? How would that define you? How would you know what God's purposes were for you? And then imagine coming in and rediscovering the Word of God fresh again. You, you had some childhood stories that told you about it, but you've, you haven't seen the Word of God in your entire life. How would you approach Scripture in that? To say, here is the Word of God, new and fresh for you again. All your preconceived notions, all the assumptions that you've made, the things that you've skipped over over the years because you didn't like what it said, here it is new and fresh. This is the situation they're in. Jump down to verse 9. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people, said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. So they hear these words of the law and they're weeping because they're hearing these words for the first time. 
Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some of those who uh, who have nothing prepared, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so instead of grieving, they're, they're beating themselves up because they're, they're reading through the law for the first time, and they realize that they are messing up, right? That things are not going the way that God had designed them to go. And, and so they're beating themselves up, and Nehemiah says, no, go and enjoy this. Celebrate this. This is a celebration to be had because God is speaking to you. And so don't be discouraged. Don't beat yourself up. Prepare a party and celebrate. Then in chapter 9, on the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth and putting dust on their heads. Those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. And they stood where they were and read from the book of the law and the Lord their God for a quarter of a day and spent another quarter in confession and in worshiping the Lord their God. What a great outline for a church service, right? Like we're going to spend a quarter of a day reading the word of God, and then we're going to spend a quarter of a day confessing, and then a quarter of the day worshiping. We should kind of restructure our worship services, right? But they encounter the word of God for the first time, and they're convicted, and they say, no, celebrate that. But after you celebrate, this is where the hard work begins of confessing and making things right of the things that God is speaking to you about. And so as we approach Scripture, we, we, we celebrate Scripture as the Word of God, but it is something that penetrates between the soul and the spirit and gets into those places and convicts us. There's a similar story that occurs in 2 Kings where King Josiah, who's a good king, he's been leading, uh, and leading well apparently, but without the Word of God. Somehow he didn't have the book of the law, and so he sends priests into the temple. And, and I imagine it's like when I got here and I sent Jamie and Patty into the back rooms to clean out the closets, and we discovered all of these great things, like pictures from TCC of you know, decades ago. And we, we, we discover these things. Well, they go into the temple, and they discover the book of the law. And they're like, wow, this looks like something important. We should dust it off and read it, right? So let's dust this off and read it, and it's a little convicting, right? Because they have not been obedient to the word of God. And so Josiah is convicted by that, and he calls for the people to renew their covenant with God. And so they renew this covenant with God, and then Josiah goes on a cleaning spree. And he removes all of the idols and all of the things used for idol worship. And he goes throughout the entire countryside and and pulls down all of the high places that have been set up for idol worship. Says, no, we are following God. we're We're renewing this covenant with him, and we are going to be obedient to that covenant. We're going to be obedient to the the word of God. What God has told us to do, we're going to do, and they were faithful to that. 
and then they celebrate the Passover. And this is what it says in 2 Kings 23, verse 21. The king gave this order to all the people. Celebrate the Passover to the Lord your God as it is written in this book of the covenants. Neither in the days of the judges who led Israel nor in the days of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah had any such Passover been observed. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, the Passover was celebrated to the Lord in Jerusalem. And so there is this annual event, the Passover, and it's celebrated year after year after year until they stop celebrating it and they lose the book of the law and they're not doing it anymore. And then they rediscover this and recommit themselves to following God and then they celebrate the Passover like it's never been celebrated before. And so similar to us, we come and we celebrate communion every single week, and it's, it's a weekly thing. But what if you were to approach the table of communion and say, I am renewing my covenants, and I'm going to celebrate communion like I have never celebrated it before. Because I see this is what God is calling me to do. Things can erode away over time. Things become comfortable over time. And and things lose their impact over time. We get too routine with things. And maybe we've lost in some way the Word of God. And so we need to come back to the Word of God. And say, this is God's promise to me. This is God's plan for me. Discovering Scripture as as God's Word demands some sort of response. And so how high of a place do you have of Scripture in your life? What role does Scripture play in your practices, in your routines, in your day-to-day life? Again, in 2 Timothy, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the truth. Do your best. Do your absolute best. Not something that's further down on your list, something that you kind of think about, something that, that you marginally engage in, but do your best. Think about how you apply yourself at work or how you apply yourself at school or how you apply yourself in the home, or in your hobbies, or in your sports. Those are not your best things. He says, do your best to present yourself to God. Do not be ashamed. Correctly handle the word of truth. And so that is a person of the book. And so what I want us to do is I want us, and I want to issue a challenge. This is for myself, and this is a challenge for all of you. And I want us to spend the next 90 days together reading through the entire Bible. Now, this is not an easy task. This is about 14 or 15 chapters a day. It's not a light reading schedule where you read a few verses and then move on. But I think now is the time for us to do it, one, because we typically start things like this in January, and then by January 3rd, we forget about it. Maybe you get to February when you hit Leviticus or something like that. 
And so many of you, if you started a reading plan in January, you probably have fallen off the wagon by now. Um, some of you are still on it, and that's great. Um, but many of us have fallen off of that. And so starting in the spring, I think, is a good time. Another thing is, it will have us conclude the first week of August. So it's, it's spending these summer months digging into the Word of God, and this will end on August 7th, will be 90 days. And on August 8th, Patrick is going to be starting a series on heaven and hell, and you will have just read all of the Bible to be able to hear what he has to say through that series in August about what the Bible is really telling us about God's plan for salvation. And so you'll come to that more prepared than you've come to any sermon. <laughs> and, then in, and then in the fall after that, we're going to finish up going through these core practices. We'll have five more core practices, and then we're going to spend the rest of the year, 10 weeks, on the fruit of the Spirit, of what it means to be like Jesus and to have that fruit in our life. And so I think it will be incredible preparation for us to be reading through the Bible together, beginning to end, over the next 90 days. Okay? And so I want you to take that challenge. It's not going to be easy. Uh, and I've got reading guides for us that you can pick up on your way out. We're going to start day one tomorrow. And I've been really generous, and I'm giving every Sunday off. So every Sunday, you can pray and reflect and catch up <laughs> on your reading. So it's really more than 90, it's not 90 consecutive days, but it is 90 days of reading to get you through the entire Bible. If you have not read through the Bible cover to cover, this is the time to do it, to see what is the story of God, what is he doing, okay? And so I'll have those reading guides for you as you leave. I want you to engage in that. I want you to email me if you're committing to that. I want you to, to verbally commit to it and say, yes, I'm going to do that. So email me. My email address is in the bulletin. It's jason.burnett at montgomerychurch.org because we like to have really long email addresses. It's hard to do anything with the word Montgomery that's not short. So jason.burnett at montgomerychurch.org. Email me and say you're in on this. Okay? It is a challenge. It's not something to take lightly. Um, but it will be incredibly life-giving. And so as you think about that 90-day challenge, here's some practical things for your time in the Word. Set aside some specific time for this to happen. Put it on your calendar. It's booked, and you can say that you already have a commitment at that time. When somebody calls to schedule something, you can say, let me check my calendar. No, I already have an appointment at that time. Okay, so set aside a time that works for you, whether it's morning or evening or sometime during the day, but, but set something on your schedule and dedicate that to God. Dedicate that to time in the Word and time in prayer. But then you also need to be reading the Bible carefully. Okay? Read the Bible carefully because there's a lot there. Max Lucado says it this way, The Bible is less a newspaper to be skimmed as a mine to be queried. So it's not a newspaper to skim through. So I, I, I have a newspaper app, and I read, I read the newspaper by swiping from article to article, and I kind of get a gist of what's going on, and maybe I'll read a little bit more of an article, but, but I'm not really digging into each of those articles. That's not how we read the Bible. So read it carefully. It's a, it's a mind to go in and dig in and, and to query and pull something out of and say, God, what are you saying to me today? But we also want to be 
pray, um, we want to be reading the Bible prayerfully, asking God, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to me as I read through this? And what am I going to do about it? Pray through that as you come to Scripture. And he's going to help us. In John chapter 14, it says, But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So, so we invite the Holy Spirit to be reading the Bible with us. And the Spirit will remind us and speak to us and teach us the things that we don't understand. And so we prayerfully ask that God would speak to us as we read through Scripture. And then in Matthew 7, it says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Ask. Ask that God will speak to you through the word of God. And then in Proverbs 2, And if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. It's a treasure to be sought after. We seek the treasure of God through his word. Let's be standing together. So the question is, how do we know God, and how do we know God's plans for us? And this is our key principle for today. I study the Bible to know God and His truth and to find direction for my life. And so we go to the Bible and we seek His truth. And we seek His understanding. And we seek His direction. And so I want to encourage you to, to seek and to find what God has for you. And I want to challenge you to really take a hold of this 90-day opportunity to, to dig into the Word and see what God has for us. It will also be very timely because you'll be finishing up about the time we enter into election season. And so make it real relevant. See what God has to say about your political party. Honestly. <laughs> for all of us. And so we, we look into the Word of God. Spend the next 90 days digging in a way that you have not dug before and engage in that process with us. We're going to spend some time in prayer, and this is a time for us to pray with one another and for one another. We're going to have shepherds down front, and if you want to pray with one of them, you can come forward. If, if you have not stepped into a relationship with Jesus and you need to step into that relationship and, and commit to that relationship through baptism today, we would love to, to be a part of that process with you this morning. Um, this is an opportunity for us to, to go across the aisles and pray with friends, pray with small groups, pray as families. Uh, this is a time for us to encourage one another, lift one another up through prayer. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for this time. We thank you for your word and how it speaks to us in such incredible ways. God, I pray that you will challenge us today as we seek you. And we ask the question, what on earth am I here for? God, answer those questions for us. Show us what you want for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.